A songbird on water, you are more than you believe. Look within yourself for power. If you trust, you shall achieve. When you reach your desperate hour, help will arrive when you call. It will save your heart and bind your soul, entwined in destiny and all. We will begin in mass invasion. We will tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It will make us duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Welcome to yet another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the only podcast that guarantees that if you listen, you get to hear stuff, something that other podcasts may not be able to do as well. This week's episode is number 452. Someday we're going to stop counting. I don't know why we would do that, but I made somebody promise that someday we'd stop, So, but not this time. This is 452. And uh, we expect to return to a place that somebody's been to before. Um, You're going to like where we're going tonight. Uh, Because of the pandemic pandemonium, once again, uh, we're down to a minimum cast and the inner tubes suck and getting a clear signal sucks. And Mm -hmm. Skype is its usual sucks. I have used the word suck enough yet, probably. Um, So we're paired back to uh, just the the bare minimum Area 51 broadcast facility crew tonight. So it's just me sitting here with with a bottle of of ice-cold something that I I hope is alcoholic because I need it desperately. (laughs) And in the background somewhere is uh, Captain Cam, who uh, was doing something earlier and is now here. Um, Captain Cam, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing something vague earlier, and I'm now here. <laughs> I, you know, I, I like when you keep it vague. That way, it, it keeps people wondering what Captain Cam really was doing. You know, you, you are a vague human being, you must admit. I am a very vague human being, you know. I, I try to keep, create this shadowy image of me that so people always wonder, who is this mysterious individual why does Nobody, he move through no. the night like he let's, does? Let's be honest. Nobody really wonders. People okay, care fine. less about me than they care about you. And nobody fine. cares whatsoever. <laughs> so let's fine. just leave it at that. Remember how many times they walk past our table at conventions and go, who the hell are those guys? Anyway, in any case, um, a while back we had to, for for reasons that have to do uh, – with things we'd rather not talk about. We had to bump an author of a novella that I really, 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 really enjoyed called uh, The Cursed Heart. And and I, as soon as we were able to get my feet back off the ground, 
or back onto the ground, actually. Um, I said to uh, the captain, let's uh, find the earliest possible date to uh, bring H.M. Gooden back. We didn't know what the H.M., at least I didn't, uh, <laughs> know what the H.M. stood for. I assumed it was Horatio Marsden, and I was actually wrong. Uh, so uh, let's welcome to the show the author of The Cursed Heart, uh, Heather Gooden. Heather, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Well, hello, and thanks for having me. Longest dumb introduction you've ever had, isn't it? <laughs> oh, no, not at all. <laughs> okay. that, that, oh, dumb, you're losing your touch here, you know. I know. So, so here, here, here's the problem with the cursed heart. How's that for an introduction? <laughs> here's the problem with your... It's a good opening. <clears throat> it's too short. Yeah. I got to the end of it and I went, oh, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> you cannot invent this, this little universe, this little pocket universe of yours. These, these wonderful, wonderful characters of yours. And this beautiful little self-contained story. And it just... Yeah, who, who the hell writes a story anymore <laughs> with a beginning, a middle, and an end? How dare you? It's very strange. <laughs> Nobody does that. And, it, and it's short, and it's sweet, and it's concise, and it's precise, and it's... Uh, hey, thanks. You well, know? you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um... Explain to everybody how. Uh, where did it come from? Oh, who the hell cares where it came from? It's not important. <laughs> there, there, it it comes from the magic that exists in the world mm -hmm. that we don't see, but yeah, some people. Agree. Well, some people see portions of it. Other people work around it. Other people see through it. There's a young lady who's in her senior year of high school named Robin, who is kind of the also, the, the second, or feels as if she's the second except she is the main character of this story. Um, so talk about Robin a little bit. Well, um, it's, it's actually quite interesting because Robin was not supposed to do what ended up happening in the story. It initially came from... Um, an anthology that I was supposed to be in, but Robin did her own thing and had no intention of doing what I had thought she was supposed to do. And instead of being a, a retelling of another fairy tale, it turned into 
basically a girl in high school who struggles with her own fears and jealousy and all of those feelings that we have that we we don't really like to talk about because they make us feel like bad people. And I can definitely say there are people and characters in the story that were very difficult for me to write because I felt almost like I was working through myself being in grade 12 again. And at the same time that she's dealing with her coming of age, Mm -hmm. her own maturity, her relationship between herself and her father and her coming to an understanding of the loss of her mother from years ago and and the gift that arrives from the birthplace of her mother to remind her once again of her mother's influence that helps her mature throughout this story, not only internally, but externally with what could have turned into uh, a zombie apocalypse of mean girls, but instead turns into something quite wonderful. I'm I'm very glad um, that you feel that way because I felt almost as if there was a bit of that sort of uh, redemption between her past and the future. And as all of my stories do, I also felt like that magic that we kind of see and feel but can't really touch or explain. I did debate on whether or not it should be more substantial, but at the same time, it felt like for this story, it was, I wanted to leave it up to the reader. And, you know, what what is real and what isn't real, just like for Robin, I think it's all in the interpretation. Well, there's there's four things that happen here. This this story is about three and a half people. (laughs) (laughs) The story is about. a friendship of two frenemies, Robin Mm -hmm. and Melissa, that -hmm. becomes an actual friendship. Mm -hmm. And, and the loss of a friendship between Melissa and Rachel, which was Mm -hmm. never a friendship to begin with, Mm -hmm. except Melissa never actually recognized it as such. 
Mm-hmm. And somehow Beth got thrown in at the very end because <laughs> you needed to have Beth there. Poor Beth. Uh, I mean. Because uh, everybody needs Beth. We, we have <laughs> all been Beth and we've all had Beth who's just like, I had to do it. But I don't know if what I did was the right thing. But I had to. So. So my guess, my guess is. In putting this story together, you started off one way. <laughs> Poppin said, oh, no, this is where this story is going to go. Absolutely. And Robin introduced you to Melissa. Mm-hmm. And then Robin and Melissa decided to show you all about Rachel. Yeah. Yeah. I Like I like I said, this story started out one way and every now and then one of those stories shows up and it's just like, you you think that you've got an idea for a plot? Well, you're wrong. And we're going to be doing this today. It's interesting because when I read this story, I had one author in mind, especially by the time I got halfway through this and it might sound a little weird, but Agatha Christie. Ooh, I will make that for sure. Please do, because I'm reading this and I'm reading every time. I think I know what's going to happen in this story. (laughs) You sit there and you go, you go, okay, this is what's happening, right? Nope. Sorry. It could be over (laughs) here. We just saw saw the butler come out of the the knife shop looking furtive. Could be him. (laughs) And then, oh, wait a minute. But there's this, this, this dark spot on the carpet over here don't forget that and you keep pulling me back and forth with all these wonderful red herrings just like a great Agatha Christie story does (laughs) and it right up until the very end the only difference between you and Agatha Christie is Agatha Christie always lets me off the hook at the end he goes no this is how it really went and takes me by the hand and leads me to the end says see everything was interconnected you just didn't get it you left me on the hook at the end because I'm still sitting here going okay who did it? Why? Why was the upstairs made in the basement? <laughs> yeah, that's how my brain no. works, unfortunately or fortunately. Um, and as much as I do semi-attempt to plot, I get going on tangents. And sometimes they loop around and sometimes it makes editing extremely challenging. Because then you have to go back and figure out how those things connect. Um, but I, I know, you know, we talk about authors writing for their readers. And I do. But I'm also writing for myself because I have no idea what's going to happen. And I have to find the ending. So, so the real question I have for you, I've got about 78 of them. But the real <laughs> question is... You haven't found the ending yet, have you? So, um, as part of that (laughs) anthology, I was supposed to write two novellas that were somehow connected and a retelling on a classic story. That I was supposed to write two stories and they ended up being completely unconnected. Right. Yeah, something like that. So I couldn't use either for the anthology. So I ended up 
um, having to rewrite it. And so now I have another book. Well, I have another novella. And I have another book that is a full-length book with the same two characters from their unconnected novellas. So we have another Robin and Melissa book coming? No, there's going to be a Robin book. And then Melissa's mentioned a time or two. But it's actually a story about Robin and the main character from The Lost Soul, which is the other prequel novella. Uh, Oh, which I haven't read yet. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have to read that one now. I agree. Oh, I hate you even more already. Yes. (laughs) How dare you make me read more good stuff? (laughs) I had meant to have the full-length one ready to go by now already but then COVID happened and the editing has fallen to the side so once I get a few extra minutes to rip together I'm hoping to have that edited and ready to come out as well so this will will has this actually been published yet So the other prequel has been. Okay. And the full length one is basically ready as soon as I am ready. (laughs) Editing is the bottleneck of my process because I can write a story in three or four weeks without any issues. The edits take the time and I also have a full-time job. So. Oh, how dare you? I know, I know. And I love my full-time job. So it makes it a bit of a challenge deciding, you know, what to do. Well, it shouldn't be. You should give up your full-time job and just do this. Uh, That that would be... Angry people. I I understand that, but I don't care. This is what you should be doing. You say that now, but uh, I I like the balance because I feel like a lot of my inspiration comes from that. And I've learned so much about life from helping others. So I think that I am able to make my characters, well, they feel real to me anyway. So hopefully that comes across. And it's because of all the wonderful people that I've met in my life. How? Hmm. It's difficult for me as an interviewer Mm -hmm. to talk to an author whose work I really do like a lot. It's not that I want to cut it apart, and it's not that I want to criticize it, and it's not that I want to find fault with it. Um, Because none none of that exists right now. One of the notes that I took uh, that, that 
Cam and I talked about a lot this afternoon was uh, the evolving relationship between Robin and Melissa shows a, a marvelous depth of characters and growth that moves the story along wonderfully. It's nice to read a story about positivity. And and I think there there's so much to be said for a story that's about that level of positivity, that level of friendship, even though it's a story about good and evil, even Mm -hmm. though it's a story about uh, uh, magic and its place within the, the, the regular universe, even though it's a story about the loss of, of, of a mother and how a young girl copes with that, throughout her mature her, her maturation and what it means to her to move on from that and how it affects her relationship with her father and how you do it all in 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 the restricted world of a novella which which is a small enough uh, space as it is did you find that a respect uh, a, a restrictive space at all because you shoved an awful lot in there. I don't write about length. Um, for me, I you know I, I feel like sometimes I'm a bit of an under describer, and I know one of the things that uh, editors always say is like I don't understand what happened here. It needs a little bit more. But I love reading, and life can be really dark and challenging. But the stuff that tends to stay with me are those moments of personal growth. And I don't think they have to be dark. I think it's like everything in life, it is what we make of it. And in terms of length for a story, it, again, the story is done when it's done. And in some cases it's short, in some cases it's long. And some of the I mean, most wonderful things that I've read are four lines long. Like Ezra Pound is still one of my favorite poets because he was able to get across such amazing imagery in 15 syllables. And while I'm a little bit more long-winded than that, uh, (laughs) I hope that I'm able to get across the same sort of realism that I'm looking for in a story. You are by no means a minimalist with your words. I, I, I don't think there's anybody that can accuse you of that. But by, <laughs> but by the same token, you don't over-explain, over-dramatize anything. Um, I think maybe one of the best examples of that is the wooden music box. Um, it's very, it's maybe two paragraphs of her, 
opening the package and then kind of looking at it and kind of holding it and moving it around. And in those two paragraphs, I can see it. I can feel it. I can smell it. I can smell the wood and I can hear the music when it opens. Excellent. And, uh, and that's for sweet. me, that's wonderful that that's what it takes. That's all that it takes. And for you to be able to do that means so much. It means that you can spend so much time. Uh, uh, I am in awe of the fact that you're able to do it the way you do it. Totally. Well, it's really what it comes I down to. Thank you. I, uh, I'm, I'm very glad that you um, enjoyed it. I enjoyed it is, I think, a, a horrifying <laughs> understatement. Really, you know, I mean, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's probably the most difficult thing I've ever written. There was just something about the book that I found very, very challenging. And, you know, writing it, I'm like, this is the absolute worst thing I've ever written. And then every time I kind of re-edit it, I'm like, well, it's not that bad. And yeah, it, it was just one of those that it just, it was a challenging book. And I'm not sure what exactly it was. I think perhaps it was maybe dealing with some of the jealousy issues that come up in the book, because it just, I don't know if it comes across, but it's that feeling of like that discomfort in your own skin and like feeling small. And maybe that was it, but it was it was a very challenging book to write. I would tend to agree with you because some of the best moments in that book were when Melissa and Robin truly opened up to one another, like true friends do, where they truly admitted how they felt not just about one another but towards one another how they mm -hmm. they perceive things because i will admit at the very beginning this again goes back to your wonderful little red herrings i thought <laughs> i thought oh i've got this story already pegged i'm all set i'm i'm I, i'm too worldly i know everything about books i know what she's going for here and melissa is <laughs> just the typical mean girl and you went and pulled that rug right out from underneath me. And I was happy you did that because it made for such an interesting change. It was so different. It was so much fun to watch these two characters look at each other later in that book when they're having those moments. And one is sitting there, Robin's professing, you know, how much, you know, I, I've always thought you were so wonderful and great. And Melissa turns around and goes, and I've always loved your voice. I wish my voice were like your voice. And there's these moments where they're finally seeing one another at the exact same time that I'm finally seeing the characters and understanding how they think. And it'll, it just, it was so much joy to just read the, and get to that and just follow along on that, that personal growth. So yeah, I just, there's something, it was definitely, I could, get the feeling that this could have been very challenging to write because it sure as heck was challenging in a fun way to read. It challenged me. And I think a big part of that is 
there has been, and I know we all have this, when you just don't click with someone for whatever reason, but you know they're not a bad person, but like you're just not, you just don't fit. And in, in a way, I think I was working through some of my issues with another person who I know is a wonderful person and they've always been nice, but you just feel like less than, but what are they thinking from their perspective? And perhaps, you know, we make people the villain because of what we think about them in our head and what we make, whatever they're doing mean about us. But what if? Yeah. What, um, what is the, how do they view the world? No. And that's Mm -hmm. what I loved about this is it, instead of going a very stereotypical way that a lot of books go with making one the villain and the other not, there was just two people, two people mm-hmm. in flawed and beautiful in every wonderful way who just didn't quite connect, but you mm-hmm. helped them to connect through the, 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 well, just in some ways through magic, you know, in, in a weird and so, sort of convoluted way. really about magic? Yep, I, I mean, would definitely talk, say that. You talk to anybody, and as opposed to this couple, when they meet and they, or you know, they don't really connect. We've all had that experience where you meet someone for the first time, and sparks, right? It's just you could talk for ten hours and and not miss the time. Like you're almost in that flow state that athletes talk about when you really connect with someone. And I think that's probably one of the most amazing magics in our world because it doesn't happen often, but I think everyone has had that experience. Yes, I would agree with that 100%. When you sit down and write, um, imagine you have... Um, of course, the <laughs> world of COVID has screwed with everybody. Oh, it has. So, <laughs> so whatever process we had prior to uh, the world of COVID has changed drastically because it's it's just screwed with everybody. So, mm-hmm. how do you find how do you find the time now, and when you do? How do you do it? Well, my first draft writing process is, for the most part, I dictate on the way to work. And I have found that very effective for me because it shuts off that inner critic slash editor who's like, oh, I think you need to put a different thing in that sentence there. So I do a very, very rough outline, like maybe a page for the whole thing. And then I drive. (laughs) And, you know, we talk about that flow state. A lot of people miss their turns when they're driving. So (laughs) you're in that story. And as I'm, I'm basically telling myself a story on the way to work. And then I get to work. I clean up the dragon speak because let me tell you, sometimes you have no idea what it says (laughs) because of however it picked up the way you were talking. And um, 
And that's my first draft. And sometimes it follows the plot that I thought it was going to. And sometimes it takes several little detours, just like missing my turn. And um, it usually ends up around about the same location. But sometimes I take a different road than I thought I was going to. Do you have pictures in your mind of what your characters look like? Oh, I have pictures in my mind all the time. I, um, I'm a very vivid dreamer, so a lot of things that show up in my books are things I've had dreams about. And uh, my first because novel there, actually came from that. There's, there's, there's a feeling that I have. Um, there's a feeling that I had as I was reading the book was that you... There are two types of characters in this book. There are characters that you really know. And there are characters that have to be there for other reasons. Mm. Okay. You really know Robin. You really know Melissa. You really know Rachel. Robin's dad has to be there. Mm-hmm. I don't think you really knew him that well. You know well, what I mean? Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And and some of that was intentional because in the full-length book, Robin finds out she really didn't know a lot of stuff about her parents. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is the dream she has about the mermaid and the the uh, the 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 red red haired guy, the big red haired guy. Uh, guy, great great flashbacks that go nowhere that just hint mm-hmm. at other things. Uh, you le- you leave trails of breadcrumbs everywhere. <laughs> That's so I can pick them up in different stories if I if I like where it went. <laughs> There's another breadcrumb you left that I'm really pissed off about too. And that's that bookstore. Oh yes. That bookstore was very interesting. She bought that book of, of, of spells, mm-hmm. opened it once, and mm-hmm. opened it once mm-hmm. and then left it. And that bookstore is a very interesting bookstore on Sherbrooke. I'm sure the book was. I want to know more about that book. Well, the book is quite real in my head, and it's basically mm-hmm. a history of. But which one are we talking about? The book that she bought, or the other book? Both of the them. Lady... <laughs> what did you put on the highway? Both of them. Well, perhaps those will show up in another story. I mean, you literally in this novella laid out enough MacGuffins. For 20, 20 more books. I like I said, you know that. Yeah. Like I said, I Agatha Christie. Yeah, <laughs> and I can tell you that my list of things to write is it gets longer with every book because I like to go back and revisit things. So speaking of Agatha Christie, I did write actually a little short story about 
the case of the missing mother, <laughs> which is based on Agatha Christie herself. And that is mm, maybe a thousand words long. But I'm always fascinated by those things. So I don't know how well you know Agatha Christie's story, but there was that one time where she went missing for a couple of weeks. Yep, I'm, I'm, I'm very familiar with that. And nobody yeah. to this day knows what happened. Except well, for... I know what happened. Ah, okay. <laughs> so I, I love history. I love magic. I love figuring out why people do what they do. And I tried to write 20 years ago when I was younger. And I got about 30 or 40 pages into whatever I was writing. And then I just couldn't do it because everybody ended up having magic powers. And, and that was before that was really a thing that happened. Urban fantasy wasn't around. I mean, we had Piers Anthony and um, Mercedes Lackey and, and like those kind of fantasy writers. But this sort of paranormal urban fantasy genre wasn't a thing then. So I just kept feeling like I was messing up these stories. But once I just allowed it to happen, now I have the answers. Well, Mags, I hate to be the one to tell you this, <laughs> but you got you got a lot of work ahead of you. I know. Because every time somebody reads one of these stories, one of these novels, one of these novellas, you've sunk another hook into somebody who wants more answers than you've chosen to give who needs more information than you've chosen to write, who wants more of this style of writing that strikes a balance that is really refreshing, really interesting, really fun and truly nice uh i can't encourage our listeners enough to check out your stuff uh, this one in particular uh is 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 gonna be it's is to this point and we're in august one of my favorites of the year so far and well, uh no, thank you. Um, <laughs> our our guest tonight has been Heather Gooden. Uh, the book is called The Cursed Heart. Uh, I'm going to send you all, all all the links will, will be right on the page and 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 thank you so much for joining us tonight. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm so happy you in, enjoyed my little novella. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art 
from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you can find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce. We have, we love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp. And a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie shared pain as lessons, shared joy increased. Thus, we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody.